This is In the Studio with Michael Card. Welcome to this week's edition of the program. I'm Wayne Shepherd. We're here in the studio, literally, with Mike. And uh, Mike, you brought your study Bible here with you today. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, plowing through all these notes, trying to get ready to uh, talk to Bob Bakke about prayer and Luke. And I'm so excited that he's here with us. <laughs> Jesus' pattern of prayer is what we'll be looking at. We'll introduce Bob to you in just a moment. But let's also mention that we're going to talk about in the second half of our program, as we always do, about creativity. And then also a good friend of yours, Mike Smith, is going to drop by the studio a bit later on. We're going to talk to Mike about uh, marriage as community, as the kind of the the model of community in, in our lives. And, and that's very important as well. So that's all coming up today in the studio. Glad you could join us. Mike will sing for us along the way as well. Uh, I see In the Garden is the song you're going to sing. That's an old one. In the first half of our program here today, Mike. So we look forward to this. Dr. Bob Bakke is with us. Uh, Bob is one of the executive directors of the Evangelical Free Church of America. He's also uh, has a passion for concerts of prayer. And he's the executive producer, as you know, Mike, for the nationally broadcast concert of prayer that uh, is held on the National Day of Prayer each year. So, Bob, it's great to have you in Franklin here Welcome. With us. Oh, this is fun. All this the way from fun. Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob, knowing that you are going to be here today, we really want to look at Jesus' pattern of prayer that we find in the book of Luke. So let's, uh, as Mike has his uh, study notes and Bible in front of him, let's invite our listeners. If you're in a place where you can do that, I think that would be valuable to, to look at the scriptures as we talk together. Pull out your Bibles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Where should we start? Well, I, um, I like to start in the, in the baptism of Jesus, where it, it uh, launches his whole public ministry. And really what, we're, what we see in the book of Luke 2 is the coupling of the prayer life of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' life, I mean, Jesus is conceived of the Holy Spirit. He is born of the Holy Spirit. He is baptized in the Holy Spirit. He ministers in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has joy in the Spirit. It's it's the ministry of the Spirit in Christ. Hmm. And uh, this is coupled with his prayer life. Uh, in Luke, the third chapter, for example, the, third, the 21st verse, we read uh, the following. And this is at the baptism of Jesus. And this is just after it has been announced by John the Baptist that he, that is Christ, uh, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. So right after John announces this with regard to the nature of the, the coming Messiah or the, the Messiah that will soon be displayed uh, f- for all to see, we have the baptism of Jesus. And we read there, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, mm-hmm. heaven was opened. Mm-hmm. So th- this is something that people don't, uh, don't normally associate with the baptism of Jesus. But at the, at the prayers of Jesus, as he is being baptized, he is praying. And upon his prayers, heaven opens. Mm. And as heaven is opened, the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And not only does the Spirit come to him, but a voice comes from heaven, the voice of the Father. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So at the prayers of Jesus... You have heaven opened and his character, his very nature on display and the testimony of the father with regard to his son uh, all upon the heels of, of Jesus praying. What a remarkable sequence. Mike. Isn't it though? Yeah. And it's repeated, however, uh, if, if you go to Luke chapter 9, uh, we have the, 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 the transfiguration of Christ mm-hmm. when Jesus takes his inner circle uh, away at, Presumably to teach them to pray, and and by the way, this is um, this is true of of most important things in life, isn't it? That uh, important things are not so much taught as they are caught. Yeah. Uh, you you come away with me, uh, Michael. You've been discipled by a man. You've been discipled by a godly man, and you know what it means to come alongside of someone and and to taste and to feel and to hear and to see and to witness what it actually means to, to walk with God. Not to just didactically have words sort of thrown at you, but to see it enfleshed in someone's life is, is inescapable. That's right. And, yeah. and I think any, any mother or father out there listening today knows that uh, intimately, yeah. that their kids, you want to teach them how to pray? Pray. Mm-hmm. They will hear how to, oh, that's, that's what you say. That's, that's uh, how you talk to God. This is how you ask and so on. But in, as he takes his inner circle, Jesus does, mm. away to a mountain to pray, we have the following verses. What verse are you in now, Bob? And now we're in the, the 28th verse of the um, ninth chapter. We're told, 
uh, 28th, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. <laughs> Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, uh, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing there with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud, a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Mm-hmm. So again, as Jesus is praying, he's transfigured. Not only is he transfigured, but witnesses from heaven come to him, again, testifying, affirming, confirming his ministry. And not only do, uh, is their witness um, confirming his ministry and his future glory, but a cloud, the glory cloud of God, descends upon them, envelops all of them, and the voice of God speaks in that cloud, again testifying to the nature and the character of his mm. son. All of this upon the prayers of Christ. Mm. So right at the very heart of this thing. Well, that's a pattern right there unlocked oh, yeah. for us. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Very obvious if we look at it carefully. And, of course, the most magnificent uh, of, um, of them all is the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in all of the synoptics, uh, if if it was nothing, the crucifixion was nothing, if it wasn't a prayer meeting be- before the uh, between God and, and His Son, and we'll get to that perhaps in a few moments. Okay. But that's where Christ's ultimate glory is manifest. Well, we were praying earlier uh, together today, and um, two two things from the Transfiguration uh, account were sort of woven into our prayer time. Uh, Bob, you were praying about uh, Jesus' glory, glorious seated on the throne with the feet of bronze and the eyes on, uh, on fire. And, and I had a, sort of a small experience of this unveiling process because when I pray— my my prayer is always to the to the incarnate Jesus. I mean, the one right. with the robe that that uh, sort of my Sunday school picture of Jesus in my head. And when you started praying that, I it was here's the second part of the transfiguration experience. I was really terrified. There was an element. I think there's an element of terror mm-hmm. in prayer. And the other the other element of terror was when you invited us to pray. First, a dream with God, which I love doing that. But then you went to this point where uh, then we. Uh, we ask God to use us in in the realization of those dreams, and and I didn't pray it out loud, but I was praying, God help me, because I'm I'm terrified. What happens if I get caught up with you in this dream, and and the disciples being terrified? I mean, I, I right. can in a small way I can identify with that and in they prayer. Didn't, they didn't know how to act either. Oh, what what do you do? Well, if you go uh, if you go to the if you go to that vision of Christ that I was appealing to, and that's in John's Apocalypse, or Revelation, the first chapter. Uh, when he, when John, this dear friend of of Christ, uh, who was loved by him, uh, was in the spirit mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. on on Patmos, mm-hmm. and and we can assume he was in prayer, mm. uh, and the vision of Christ comes to him in his praying, in his spirit praying, and he beholds him. W- what's John's reaction? John is not, oh, Eureka, Jesus, right. you're here just when I need you. Uh, or Eureka! You, it's been it's been a generation now. I, I long to see you. Oh, my friend, my dear friend! No, yeah. he beholds this glorified one and yeah. falls at his feet. It wasn't familiarity, was no, it? No, it was yeah. not. It yeah. was absolute awe. Oh, yeah. that's, a, that's a good lesson. And for Peter, the the transfiguration experience. We've just worked through the life of Peter, and it's the only historical experience he had with Jesus that he ever refers to in his letters. And I think when he went from from walking beside this person to seeing this person unveiled in his glory. We Held his glory. It never changed. Yeah, it never. When we were with him on the holy mountain, right. see, that's the thing that still resonates mm-hmm. in his heart, and it is. It's a terrifying thing, but it's it's who he is. 
R.C. Sproul years ago used to talk about the mysterium tremendum. Mm. That is that mysterious thing that causes the inner quaking of the soul mm-hmm. as we behold the, the Christ, the one upon whom the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in all of its fullness has come, mm. the one uh, uh, to whom the glory of, uh, of the, cl- the cloud of glory comes and the voice of God saying, this is my son, this one who now ascended and glorified and who is in prayer at the right hand of the Father is is mm. one who's like lightning in his countenance and his eyes like fire and his voice like the sound of rushing water. This mm. is amazing you stuff. Know, there is one of those little moments in Scripture. It's back, you read it. It's in mm. chapter 9 of Luke, uh, right. verse 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, yeah. they saw his glory. Now, that's a wake-up call. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. And, and that transition must have been a really hard one to make, too. <laughs> Uh, Bob, there's a passage in Luke that I particularly wanted to uh, hear you talk about. Uh, in in uh, in the Gospel of Luke, we have all this emphasis on prayer. We see Jesus praying before all these important events. But the interesting thing is we haven't actually heard him pray yet. Right. I think Luke uses this as a device to sort of build our expectation. Hmm. So in le- we haven't heard Jesus pray at all until chapter 11. And then when he does pray... It's not this big, grandiose, aren't waving arms in the air. It's a very childlike prayer. And, 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 and given in direct response to his disciples' question, uh, talk to us about the Lord's Prayer and, and this wonderful shortened form of it in Luke. I mean, talk to us about that. Well, as a preface to any remarks, uh, the fact that his disciples come to him and say, teach us, mm-hmm. uh, means that they are watching his life means that they have examined him throughout the, the good and the bad and all the rest. Yeah, that's verse 1. One day he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, that's right. his disciples say— So they see something they want. Oh, oh they see a pattern there. They, I mean, it's not, it's not just this time when they were praying, but it's this time when it finally uh, uh, comes to the place where they have to ask. Oh, okay. Lord, look, uh, we see you. You're a man of prayer, and, and you have demonstrated that throughout your ministry. Um, Lord— uh, teach us, please wow. uh, teach us. We've talked a lot about mentoring on this program. There's He's another great verse. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And and I, and I should say this too. I, and I, I tell this to uh, to parents and and to pastors and to other leaders. Um, make strategic moments within your life uh, so that you will be caught in your private <laughs> mm. in your private moments. Really? Yeah. In other words, leave the door ajar. On occasion, yeah. so that your kids can, right. quote unquote, discover you yeah. on your knees, yeah. uh, or leave your office uh, door ajar. As pastor. long as you're doing it for the right motives, I understand. Sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, not not to parade your not to parade your, right. your righteousness before men, but to make sure that those people have the opportunity to come upon you at, in your mm. in your walk with God, and even though Jesus was alone often he would mark brutality often withdrew to places by himself to pray he also places himself strategically in places where he can be discovered mm. in his private moments hmm. and so his disciples i mean if 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 he was by himself and no one witnessed any of his praying um, how how would his disciples be hungry for this mm. so they have they have seen him yet again in his, in prayer and they and the question arises within their hearts lord teach us to pray just as john taught his disciples so there's a pattern here mm-hmm. this is how disciples are taught mm-hmm. uh, you teach us mm-hmm. and he begins simply father um, is this the prayer of jesus uh, you uh, you raise the, you raise the issue in my own mind perhaps it is the uh, the, um, the the prayer of jesus Perhaps it is, the pr- it is the prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples. For their benefit. For, for their for, benefit. On their behalf. Yes. Um, but, uh, I mean, one, one can argue uh, several ways in this, I guess. But uh, perhaps I can see Jesus praying this prayer for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he does, in essence, throughout his life. I mean, even at, at the, in the Mount of Temptation, he, you know, there's a sense in which he is resisting evil and the evil one. Um, but Father, simply Father, uh, this glorious invocation uh, and acknowledgement that, bef- at, that at the beginning of all things is this, um, this wonderful parent, and yet not just parent, um, but author of all things, hallowed be your name. 
So before we begin with anything, like, like we will in the, in the concert of prayer, we will begin by simply hallowing the name of God uh, when we pray together. Um, we will worship him and adore him first before petitioning him, imploring him to answer any prayers. Simply, the greatest um, uh, prayer is to be answered is, you make your name holy. You display your name among the nations. You make your name great. Your kingdom come. So before anything else, you reign, you rule. You do it manifestly. In other words, you put, you put that reign on display. Don't hide it, O oh God. Mm. Your kingdom come. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. For every simple need of life, it's from your hand that we receive it. Forgive our sins, for we, uh, for, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. So as you forgive us, O oh God, we'll pattern ourselves after you. Mm. and will duplicate your character on earth. Forgiving and being forgiven are the two sides of one coin. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, the, the, the standard that we use uh, to measure other people, mm-hmm. Jesus says, mm. it will be measured against us. Mm. So as we are recipients of grace, be dispensers of grace. You have received much, freely give. Yeah, and it's in Luke that the wo- Jesus says of the woman, she, mm. you, you know, he who loves little has been forgiven little. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then finally, just lead us not into temptation. You know, the, the, the other synoptics uh, have, have an expanded version of this prayer, but simple, direct, dependence, the glory of God, this wonderful invocation of the Father. Mike, I know you've given a lot of thought to this as well. What, what would you add to what Bob has said here? Well, I don't think I can add anything. What what strikes me, though, is just, is just the simplicity of it. I mean, it's essentially in Luke, it's four lines. Hmm. And it's so it's not that this is a hard mental exercise that you're going to have to, you know, like uh, I think Jewish, you know, rabbinic prayers are lengthy, formulaic sort of things. I mean, this is utter childlikeness, uh-huh. Father, uh-huh. see, Abba, uh-huh. and but it's so full. It's, I mean, you know, uh, uh, and I, I, I tend to believe, I think like you do, Bob, that this is a pattern that he's given us that we can mm-hmm. fill out, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing prayer. And again, I, I think it's important that I, Luke has me so expectant to finally hear Jesus pray. And when he mm-hmm. prays, it's four lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It's, and it's almost embarrassing in its simplicity yeah. and childlikeness, as you say. But so but like Therein him. lies the power. Yeah. Um, this, we love to study the Word. And, Bob, we're so grateful that you're here with us today. Bob Baki mm-hmm. uh, is uh, opening the Scriptures for us. And you mentioned earlier the events uh, leading up to the crucifixion. We're going to start in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22. But before we ha- ask you to take us there, Bob, in the Scriptures, let's pause here and ask Michael to sing this uh, wonderful song called In the Garden. Uh, cellist John Ketchings is in the studio with us as well. You, we won't hear John except through his instrument, but what a, what a mighty voice it is as John joins Michael now in the garden. the one in the garden. 
garden by gentle eyes so sadly wise the angels appear they come to the garden clothed with sighs they As, as that song just pointed out so poignantly to us all, and, and thank you, Michael, for that, the, the passion of Christ prior to his death, uh, groaning before the Father, and not only groaning for his own life, but groaning for you and me, he, the knowledge that your name, my name, was on, was on his lips within mm-hmm. his heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in, in Jerusalem a, a couple of years ago, uh, the most holy place in all of Jerusalem for me was the Church of All Nations, the place that is built around mm-hmm. the traditional rock upon which Jesus prayed. And to mm. sit there in the silence uh, and, uh, and and the darkness, the dim of that moment, and to stare at that, that, that rock that pointed toward the cross and to know that my name was on his heart mm. uh, at that moment, mm. I just sat there and wept. I had no words to say. Mm. It's the holiest place in all of Israel for me. Mm. But here, here he comes to the Mount of Olives, and he's, he's preparing himself uh, to face uh, the ultimate sacrifice for us. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and as, as his disciples followed him, uh, on reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Mm. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Mm. Jesus, uh, agonizing uh, before the cross. We're in Luke chapter 22 here, and Bob read uh, beginning at verse 39. You know, if, if it stopped there... It would, it would be moving to all of us. Um, but the prayers of Jesus uh, seemed not to stop from this moment uh, to his final death. I mean, he leaves this place having been captured and, and throughout the night moving from place to place. Uh, he goes through the mockeries of the trials, the various trials, ends up on the cross, the very first words out of his mouth. What were they? Father, Mm. forgive them, Mm. for they don't know what they're doing. He's praying. He's praying at Mm. the very height of his agony, at the the place where he is feeling uh, the the exquisite and excruciating abandonment of the Father. Eloi, Eloi, lama sakbathani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's praying. At the very final breath of Christ, as Matthew records it, crying out into uh, into heaven, into thy hands, phone megale, uh, loud voice, megaphone, loud voice, he cries. He doesn't cry, he doesn't die with a whimper. He doesn't die with a sigh. He dies with a cry. Uh, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Mm -hmm. At which the the skies having grew dark, um, now the earth, all of nature sort of groans and explodes beneath Mm -hmm. the cross and the and the, the rocks split as the earth trembles and the tombs of Jerusalem uh, mm. are opened and the righteous, ra- all upon the prayers of Jesus. <laughs> all, all, so, so right from, from the get-go, right from, from the Mount of Olives, right through to his, his last and final breath, the prayers of Christ. Let's take our last minute together and apply what we learned from Jesus' pattern of prayer, Bob. 
Father, we, we glorify your Son this day. We acknowledge that your, your name alone is hallowed. And we ask you, O God, to extend your kingdom throughout the earth. And this, this Jesus, our Master, may he teach us to pray this day. And may in our praying his nature be on display, his glory be on display. Speak through this glory, O God. Identify your Son so that all, that, all who may be looking or watching or listening might know that he alone is Lord. Yeah. Uh, to the praise and glory of heaven, we pray. Amen. Dr. Bob Bakke and Michael, I know that uh, I expressed this uh, for you as well, that we mm-hmm. want Bob to come back and join us again yeah. real soon. Please do. And thanks for coming all this way just to be with us. Bob. Oh, what a joy, Mike. I'm sure that your heart has been stirred as Dr. Bob Bakke opened the word here in the studio with Michael Card. If you sense that you are growing closer to Christ because of this time together, please let us know. Here's a note we received from Steve. The music, the teaching, the genuine feeling of community that is projected through Michael Card, the staff of the show, and the guests is unmistakable and so unusual. Not like a show at all, which is usually something created for consumption. It's like being there and being part of a prayer and study group with friends and brothers. Well, we want to hear from you. Send your email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Remember, your comments and Bible questions are always welcomed at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. For more about this program and Michael's music and teaching ministry, join us on the web at www.michaelcard.com. There are exciting developments on our website, so come by and check it out at michaelcard.com. Coming up in the second half of the program, we'll talk with Michael about a theology of beauty. And Pastor Mike Smith stops by and gives us advice on how we all can have a marriage tune-up. All this and much more after this break on the Moody Broadcasting Network. We are in the studio with Michael Card, and this little piece of music comes from your song, Star Kindler, Michael. Mm -hmm. In your new book, Scribbling the Sand, you have a chapter called A Hunger for Beauty, and I thought we could talk about that for a few minutes. I'd love to. Um, Beauty is a category in the whole discussion of creativity. Uh, It seems appropriate, but what's interesting to me is that so often uh, in theology, uh, there's no... We miss it, don't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. And Our God is an aesthetic God. I mean, oh, he cre- he's the creator of it. Well, and the Bible says uh, he's beautiful. Uh, Psalm 27.4, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Hmm. And in those long theological lists of attributes of God, so seldom, I've I've never seen actually uh, Hmm. beauty listed as one of his virtues, but he is beautiful. Hmm. Uh, Now, you're quite the astronomer. I mean, you enjoy Hmm. uh, teaching astronomy even, really? Uh, Well, I'm a passionate amateur. Okay. All right. But I mean, when you gaze up through that telescope and even without the telescope, just gaze into the sky, I mean, this is part of what you're talking about. Right. That's Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And uh, I think the stars are one of the most immediate, uh, at least for me, I think for most people, the stars are one of the most immediate things that we can look at and and get a a sense for the the awesome beauty of God, sort of the Mm -hmm. the awesome part of uh, his magnificence and his beauty when you look at uh, the great nebula of, of Orion, or you look at Saturn through a telescope and see the rings of Saturn. Uh, he's an amazing God. But even as you say that, I'm thinking to myself, when was the last time I slowed down enough to look up and oh, yeah. and admire that that creative beauty? Yeah, I had an experience like that uh, a couple of months ago. I had been just burning the candle at both ends for so long, and and for me, again, star the stars are really important. I have a telescope. I go out and the homeschool kids and the the Boy Scouts come over, and I do you know constellation. <laughs> parties and stuff. And it had been six months since I had even looked up at the sky and it was a cool evening, you know, no, no humidity and the stars were just dazzling. And I looked up and I just said, I am so sorry Hmm. because, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've missed this part of you sometime and we can talk so much about God that uh, almost the more we talk about him, the less we know him, Hmm. the more busy we are doing things for him, 
the the less we actually know him. And it's not just the sky above and the stars at no. night. It's it's everywhere, isn't Cert- it? I mean, it's a cosmic level. It's a microscope. It's sub subatomic level. The I have a, a friend who's a nuclear chemist who is a believer and is just awestruck by what he sees. You know, in his electron microscope or whatever. Uh, and 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 that's another I think another reflection of the beauty of God, even in a fallen world. I mean, what we have is fallen, mm-hmm. but e- even now uh, the red buds have started. To bloom here where we live, and uh, we were just taking a break a minute ago, and there was a hawk in the top of a tree, and and uh, just ab- absolutely beautiful. It, it would be hard to imagine what the pre-fall. I mean, this is the the, the creation that is groaning. Paul says uh, to to see it before uh, it fell must have been unbelievable. But I think, well, I'll I'll put it this way: I am guilty of not translating that uh, that eye for beauty into worship, and that's. That's really a, a part of what we are supposed to be doing. And we're all guilty of that. I mean, we're all guilty of uh, escaping and uh, not turning to and not not desiring to, like the psalmist said, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And our definition of beauty is fairly narrow, too. I mean, even we've been talking about beautiful stars and beautiful flowers and beautiful mm-hmm. birds. But what's really beautiful about God is his nature, his love, his right. compassion, uh, and there's a there's a, a story in uh, Matthew's gospel uh, that that I think uh, in, interests me because it it gives us Jesus' idea of what beauty is. And beauty is a word he rarely used. He only used it once or maybe twice, which I find in itself interesting. But in Matthew 26, when uh, he is at the home of uh, Simon the leper. Uh, very close to the time that he's going to be arrested. In fact, this woman, uh, through her intuition or perhaps she's been listening to Jesus, realizes perhaps what no one else realizes, and that is Jesus is going to die soon. And she's come to anoint him. And uh, when uh, the disciples, you know, start uh, moaning about the waste of the perfume and that sort of stuff, Jesus says, uh, why are you bothering this woman? And we never even learn her name. We don't know what her name is. He says, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Hmm. It's important to see Jesus' definition of beautiful and this idea of service, this idea of sacrifice, uh, um, this woman who, who is aware, who has, list, who has loved Jesus well by listening to him. What Jesus sees as beautiful is this wonderful, compassionate act uh, and again, we take, we're informed by Jesus' life. We turn back to God and we say, you know what's beautiful about God is his compassion. God has done a beautiful thing mm-hmm. for you and for me mm-hmm. in, the, in Christ. Well, we've talked about a, a progression here. We've talked about that which is immediately evident to us if we just take the time to look at it, the sky. Which is a reflection of the beauty of God. The yeah. trees. But that leads us then to the more intangible yeah. things about God, that, that we need to, to worship him and, and to recognize his beauty. How do you, how do you uh, teach your children these things, Michael? Well, we were talking with Bob uh, Bakke earlier uh, about prayer, and he was talking about how do we teach our children to pray. And it's, it's a matter of letting them listen in or be mm-hmm. exposed to our you know, appreciation of the Lord in prayer. And I think it's the same thing. Um, my kids go out and look at the stars with me. Yeah, but interesting thing, especially my son, Will, my oldest son, if he ever sees a meteor or he saw the moon eclipsed not long ago, and his immediate response is, Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. So <laughs> That's great. I think children have a better connection uh, to God through the beauty of creation than mm-hmm. probably we adults mm-hmm. do. Well, again, uh, the chapter in your book, your new book, Scribbling in the Sand, is called Hunger for Beauty. We haven't talked about the hunger part of this very mm-hmm. much, but it's uh, it's something that's innate within us, mm-hmm. this hunger, but sometimes we kind of suppress it, and we need to bring that to life, don't we? Yeah, and we see that in the, that's almost in the category of general revelation because we see the 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 pagan world is hungry for beauty. And the point that I want to make is that this innate hunger that all of us have for beauty is really uh, at the root of it, a hunger for God, Mm. because we were created for relationship with him. And um, hunger for beauty, like like every other hunger, like the hunger for God's word, is a gift, sort of an upside-down gift. But in, in the kingdom of God, he gifts us 
with a hunger for him and a thirst for him and for a relationship and and for his word and for his beauty. And uh, that's why it can be such a wonderfully satisfying thing to 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 make these realizations, which, of course, lead us to worship. I mean, worship is always the response to seeing God right. or hearing his word. Um, when we see the beauty of... Um, Small example, my son Will, 13 years old. He's just at the age where he's trying to convince us all that he, he hates girls. But there's part of him yeah. that definitely is beginning to think girls are pretty he cool. protests too much. <laughs> very good, yeah. Yeah, very good. Well, there's a little girl who uh, who is uh, wonderful. Uh, she, she They've grown up together. Her name is Jessica. And Will, she's sort of the prime one that Will wants everybody to know, hey, you know, I don't think she's cool. But Jessica... Uh, her, her one of her pets died the other day, and Will, uh, forgetting all that, put his arm around her. I know he he was going to get teased by everybody, you know, he's going to get grief for it. But he his heart went out to her. He put his arm around her, and he said, "Jessica, I'm really sorry." And I thought immediately, Will has done a beautiful thing. You know, he has uh, he's reached across uh, the prejudice that he's he's uh, sort of manufactured against girls, and he's tried to show compassion. And I'm so proud of him. I saw a beautiful. It was a beautiful thing to see. And beauty happens in small ways. Cup the cup of cold water, the touch on the shoulder. These are all beautiful things. Michael, we always talk about community here each week in the studio, and we're going to uh, talk with someone who's a member of your community right here in Franklin, Tennessee. A very important member, uh, a person that's been a friend uh, for a long time. He's the director uh, of the Franklin House, and uh, he was one of Dr. Lane's students as well, so we've known each other for a long time. More about that is available on our website. If you don't know about the Franklin House, I hope yeah. you'll look that up. And I tell people that uh, Mike Smith is the most natural pastor I know he's always a pastor he's always on he's the guy that if your car breaks down at three in the morning you call him could I have that phone number well Mike? and and he he is glad to come uh, that's his heart and I've appreciated I, I appreciate Mike an awful well, lot as so evidenced by the fact that he's glad to come to the studio today yeah. again and join us in the studio Mike thanks. glad to do it thank yeah. you for having me uh, you have a book called getting ready for a lifetime of love six steps to prepare for a great marriage and uh, I don't know you I have the book in front of me it wasn't necessarily given to me but I just may take this home for use in our own young people's lives here that, that's great yeah you're welcome to it <laughs> marriage is community Exactly. I mean, it's interesting when God created us, you know, with the perfect relationship with himself. And then he said about Adam, it's not good that he be alone. Mm. And so then he created Eve. And so God, even when Adam had a perfect relationship with him, knew that wasn't enough, that he needed a horizontal relationships. And so he created Eve and brought them together. Well, that helps us to understand why, at least one reason why Satan is so intent on attacking marriages. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways that we can reflect God's glory uh, is through marriage, through caring for. And, and Jesus used that picture to reflect the relationship between the church and himself. And so if, if the church is his bride, so even that picture of marriage is a great example. And if Satan wants to attack that, and it's a tear down even that image in our mm -hmm. minds. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, the big things that are happening in Christian marriages that just break your heart, Mike? Well, it's interesting to me of how, how many men are just bailing out of their marriage, come up with this line, Here's the idea. God wants me to be happy. I'm not happy in my marriage. Therefore, God wants me out of this marriage. Mm -hmm. And yet, I'm convinced that God's committed to us to have an abundant life. It's clear in Scripture. But yet, God is also the one that defines what that is in abundance. And moving toward the Lord and toward your wife, your husband, that's what God delights in. So to see people, I think, bailing out of their marriages, to see children, you know, as kids are, you know, hurt the most in a divorce— to see that happening, that breaks my heart. And it happens everywhere, as we know. I mean, oh, yeah. there is no one listening right now who hasn't been touched in some way by this problem. Mm -hmm. And what's sad, too, it's happening too frequently in the church that sometimes you look at the statistics outside of the church and in the in the church, and they're not that different. Well, the, the last time I saw them reported, actually the church was one percentage point higher than uh, than the world, what, which what, is amazing. What's going on there, uh, Mike? What? I think, it, to me, it's self-centeredness, people wanting to—I um, think in this this idea that marriage should not be work or that if you really love someone, it wouldn't be difficult. 
And yet relationships are difficult. Mm-hmm. The enemy is in attacking them and attacking us. And so I think that's part of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, you have uh, a vision, Mike Smith, for helping people, young people who are thinking and contemplating marriage to help them get started on the right foot. Maybe we could talk about some of those things for a few minutes here. That I think that'd be a great tune-up for any married person who's listening, mm-hmm. but at the same time, help us minister to our young people. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because there's all kinds of information out there and helps on people developing a wedding, planning a wedding. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell a couple that I've never seen a good wedding hold a marriage together. <laughs> the right cake, <laughs> the right people invited, the right music, the no, right outfits, no the right flowers. in the dress. Yeah, yeah. None of that. I mean, I'm not against a party. And Jesus mm-hmm. loved parties if mm-hmm. he saw him. First, first miracle was at a wedding you know, mm-hmm. in Cana. Mm-hmm. But a party does not make a marriage. You know, that a celebration, of, to me, a wedding is a weekend. A marriage is hopefully a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So I encourage them to plan on, develop. The premarital counseling hopefully will help them create a foundation upon which they can build through their married life. So how does it work? Do you, uh, I don't know, do you insist on a certain number of sessions with them ahead of time? Do you give them homework? What do you do? Yeah, that's, what I, that's how the book got developed. I was using this material and just had written it up because there was a lot of information about marriages, but not so much on preparing for your marriage. Mm-hmm. And so I took scripture and uh, different questions and developed it into a six-session format. And that's how the book is laid out. And so what happens, a couple comes in and wants to be married. I, I challenge them to plan more time preparing for their marriage than they do their wedding. And then I say, here's the workbook. You two work through this, work through each session individually, answer the questions, wrestle with the scripture, and then you two come together and talk about this. Then I sit down with them after they've done all of that what came to the surface? What struggles mm-hmm. did you have? What did you disagree on? What did you not understand? And then it mm-hmm. really helps kind of build that foundation well. Mm-hmm. Do uh, do young people kind of wake up to what it, what they're getting themselves involved in here and they, they kind of get cold feet at the last minute? That has happened. Um, but it's also, to me, it's it's trying to help people think through, you know, okay, if God's called you together, let's think about and anticipate what that will look like. Yeah. Because often the man has a picture in his mind of what marriage will be, and the woman has another picture. And they rarely share those with each other <laughs> until it's too late. Exactly. <laughs> and then you get into your marriage and you feel a little stuck. Boy, why didn't you tell me this before right. we were married? And why didn't you tell me this before we were married? Uh-huh. And then to me, to be able to dialogue about that stuff is very healthy yeah. in building a relationship. Well, I, I would have to think that the, the young couple, the, the uh, bride and groom-to-be, have to want to do this. Do, you, do they get sent by mom and dad or by their pastor? Or? You know, years ago, I, I would say five, six years ago, people were coming in, and maybe even 10, it was the wife knew, or the woman knew this was important, and she was coming in, and the man was being dragged you in. You can see the heel marks in the parking lot. Yeah. You know, and that has changed. And he would often warm up, even in that, that setting, and seeing how valuable it was. But now, now I think both are coming in. They've mm. seen marriages fail. They've seen people, as you mentioned, close to them. And they say, this is not going to work just because we want it to right now. What is it that we need to think through and anticipate? So that's been good. Yeah, Susan and I would have given anything to have gone through a process like this. Actually, there were Dr. Lane wanted to uh, spend some time with us, and I was too busy, and we were, you know, so in a rush to get married. And our first two years of marriage were so difficult, uh, especially for her, uh, and and we would have benefited from this book so much. You probably don't want to think about it yet because your uh, children are a little on the young side yet, Michael. Oh, yeah. But uh, we've got a couple of young adults in our family right now. And I can see in you know, a few short years they're going to be ready for this, Mike. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that it's available. And it's encouraging to me, too, to see. I mean, you think about God's picture of marriage. And one of the things that's interesting to me, you look at he developed marriage in the context of the garden before the fall in Genesis 3. And I've often thought I mean, that marriage is a part of the creation ordinance. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't say, well, scrap this marriage idea. Hmm. Let's go to plan B. He said, no, (laughs) the man and the woman in the marriage Uh were radically changed. Hmm. Interesting. But marriage didn't change. Hmm. Well, let's pause right here. And you have a point. We'll pick it up after you sing for us, Michael, because you have a song that I think fits right in beautifully here called Earthly Perfect Harmony. Is there a story at all behind this? Well, this song was written for someone who was struggling in their marriage uh, who... uh, who at one point told me, he said, I, I, I need to believe that it's possible for a human soul to love another human soul. Mm. And I took that heart cry and sort of put it into the song. And this is it. Michael Card in the studio. Mm. 
dreams has slipped right through our hands, and I've become both doubt and also doubter. It's hard to ask if love has passed us by, or if it's simply gone to sleep, to slumber till. Decide to wake it, or could it be that we forgot the source of our special love and turned our backs upon the one who made it burn and glow? If we choose not to lose the light. That made us shine in each other's eyes. If we decide that life alone's no life at all, then we must see that love can be the earthly perfect harmony the Lord composed for children of His own to sing. But I need to understand and love you with a nail-scarred hand, and you must touch and see the frightened child inside of me. If we go on, we'll shine our light upon a world that badly needs to know. Human soul can love another human soul. Oh, that says it so well. Earthly perfect harmony. Michael Card here in the studio with us today, as is our good friend Mike Smith. Mike is uh, the author of Getting Ready for a Lifetime of Love. It's a premarital counseling handbook, I guess I would call it, Mike. Uh, talking about marriage, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. I know you were about to make a point before you sang the song. Yeah, well, us, I, I, yeah, I love the point that Mike made that, uh, you know, they're, they're in the context. Even though uh, Adam has a perfect relationship with God, a vertical relationship, then God provides this relationship uh, with Eve, and, and we call that marriage. But what I wanted to hear was your thoughts on the fact that then it comes full circle as, again, essentially God invites us to be his bride. I mean, that earthly pattern then turns back around and becomes the pattern for our relationship with God. Yeah, and I think that was, was God's design. And originally, what happened is we rebelled against that and were alienated from God. And here he comes to our rescue in Christ to restore that relationship. And it's, you know, we're the bride of Christ. And Christ is the one who brings us back to point us back to God mm -hmm. that we can delight in. And the closer we move toward him, then the closer we're moving toward the Lord. Mm -hmm. Of course, that we're delighting in him and understanding him. And often that's what I tell couples, that in this context of a marriage, you know, the, the, you know, the Scripture says we love because he first loved us, mm -hmm. that we have to be recipients of love from God, and then you're able to love others in your life. And the first other should be your husband or your wife. Mm -hmm. I think the first thing that Susan and I learned uh, in that painful year was that it, when we were struggling, uh, and it's almost like, you know, I'm, I, I don't use this language uh, very often, but it's almost like God just told us if, if we were struggling, it was because one or both of us weren't in relationship with the Lord. We mm -hmm. weren't in the scripture the way we should be. And that's been true now for 20 some odd years. Mm -hmm. Mike, we've talked primarily about young people um, who are about to experience marriage, but we all know that there are many people listening right now who have been married perhaps uh, a long time, maybe 15, 20, 30 years even. Uh, talk to that group of people, listeners right now, and just uh, maybe anticipate what they're feeling right now about the state of their relationship in marriage. Yeah, that's a good point because it, you go through different seasons in your marriage hopefully closeness to, often what happens, I think couples are no longer build one is they're excited about their relationship early on through engagement early into their marriage, and then they begin to live separate lives. Mm. And then no longer are they 
as the second part, you know, leave father and mother, be united together, and the two shall become one flesh, is Genesis two twenty four. I think that aspect of being united together, they're abandoning. They're not. They're living their separate lives. Maybe even have children. The wife focuses on the children, the mm. husband on his career. And they've gotten comfortable with those roles. Right. And then all of a sudden, seasons go by, and they're they're far apart. And that falls short of what God's intention is, Mark. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that oneness that's ongoing uh, and that reflects the oneness we're to have. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, or I'm, I'm certain that there are people that are listening who are thinking about getting married. Uh, I'm, I'm actually uh, discipling a young man who's engaged and, and mm-hmm. have given him this book, and they're going to work through the book together. I think it'd be good for us to pray, to stop yes. and take a minute to pray for someone who may be listening uh, who's contemplating this uh, awesome commitment of marriage. And I'd be great if you'd uh, lead us, Mike. Father, I do thank you for the one who initiated marriage and in one sentence you instilled and created that, and also for your involvement in blessing marriages. So I, I pray as you would help couples understand that you're the one that's calling them together. It's not just something that they want to do. And as couples go into that being called by you, that they can move in and jump in with both feet, give themselves to you and to one another freely and fully. I pray you would help them to nurture that sense of oneness, being delighted in and loved by you, and then being able to love one another. I pray you'd help men, in particular lead in doing this, to pursue their wives, not just to pursue her, to engage her or marry her, but then continue to pursue her, to fight for her, to delight in her throughout their marriage. So help men take the lead in that, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And you've been listening to In the Studio with Michael Carr. Information about this program, Michael's music and teaching can be found on the web at www.michaelcard.com. Learn how you can become a part of the community and check out the music, books, and videos that are available to you. It's all just clicks away at michaelcard.com. And don't forget to join us again next week at the same time for an incredible time of prayer led by Dr. Bob Bakke. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of the Card Group and the Moody Broadcasting Network.